We return this morning to our study in the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. We've entitled this sermon series, uh, Acts, the Work Continues, because it is a look at how Jesus continued to work on earth and through his church even after his ascension. <clears throat> Acts 15, we'll start in verse 36, going through verse 41. As you're turning there, I want to share kind of a sad story with you. Not kind of, it is a sad story with you. Many years back, I was part of a church that was wrestling with a personnel issue. The question was whether or not to keep one of the staff members. Some said that the staff member was uh, ineffective. Uh, not a good use, not a good stewardship. His salary was not good stewardship of the Lord's funds. Others said he was just a wonderful servant. He loved the church. He was doing the best he could. And there arose a dispute about whether or not to keep this staff member. And two elders in particular at that church, two that I had been able to observe uh, uh, close myself, (coughs) took opposite sides of this dispute. And now those two elders were friends as were their families. The family socialized any number of times. Their two oldest sons had been very close throughout their growing up years. But the two elders disagreed on this particular issue. And each was able to articulate a reasonable, logical, Bible-based defense of his position so that they could not resolve the dispute. If the church moved on, the elders as a whole eventually made a decision and the church is vibrant and healthy today. But those two elders fell out of fellowship over that dispute. They fell, up, they fell out of friendship because of that disagreement. It's sad. It hurts. Many of us, when we go to work for the church, whether uh, in a full-time vocation, such as a pastor, or as a volunteer, as many of you, we think working in the church is going to be the best possible place to work, and in many ways, it is. But we sometimes think that it's going to be without the hassles, without the frustrations that we find in the rest of our lives, and that's not true. For disputes and disagreements arise even in the church many of them between close friends. And when this happens, it hurts. It's hard on us. And that is the account that's before us today in Acts 15. Luke records for us a dispute that arose between the brothers, not just any brothers, a dispute that arose between Paul and Barnabas, two names that go together in church history. And you're saying to yourself, well, of course they resolved the dispute, didn't they? It all worked out just fine in the end. Well, yes and no. As we're going to see here, they ended up parting ways. They fell out of fellowship for at least a time over this dispute. And so it is a difficult text that is before us. It is one that is an account of a sad time in church history. And yet, our God is faithful in recording accurately the truth of the history of his church. Because he does so, we can learn lessons from what happened here. Here at the Shore Harvest Presbyterian Church, we believe the Bible to be the only infallible rule for faith and for practice. So that if you want to know how to live, if you want to know how to live with the difficulties and disputes that arise even in the church, then you must know the Word of God. So hear now the Word of God from Acts 15, starting in verse 
36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Spirit, inform us from this, your word this morning. Speak to our hearts that we would seek to keep at bay disunity and disputes in the church and that we would desire when they do arise to handle them rightly, to do so in a way that does not divide or destroy your body. And Lord, we thank you for the one who forgives us even when we fall short in these ways. And we ask for the sake of his glory that we would learn the lesson of this text and put it to work here at Shore Harvest and wherever you may take us in the future. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we have an account of a dispute between the brothers, between Paul and Barnabas. We're going to look at uh, two main aspects of this account. We're going to look, first of all, at the nature of this particular dispute. Oh, we've seen other disputes in the book of Acts, and we've seen how they've been handled. But I want to look at the nature of this particular dispute. And as we do so, we're going to consider uh, kind of uh, four things, four uh, surprising, unexpected aspects to this dispute. And after considering the nature of the dispute, we are then going to look at what to do, how to respond to the dispute. And from it, I hope we will learn valuable lessons for our own lives. So we see there in verse 36, when we look at the nature of the dispute, the first thing we notice is that disputes in the church can arise between unexpected parties. The people involved will surprise us. Had we been able to go to enter the timeline of church history right before this, at Acts 15, verse 35, And if we had surveyed the church and said, of all the different ministry teams out there, of all the pastors and associate pastors, of all the different workers on behalf of the church, who's the least likely to ever part ways and break fellowship? I'll bet you Paul and Barnabas would have been really high on that list. Paul and Barnabas had already gone through tough times together and showed that they could stay together. Galatians 2 tells us that Paul had to confront Barnabas over the issue of how Gentiles were united to the church. And they had survived that. They had together gone down to Jerusalem and fought for the purity of a gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, involving no works at all. And they had survived that. They had been beaten together and driven out of town together and uh, derided together and accosted together. They had gone through so much together. Who is going to have a dispute that causes them to part ways? Who in the church is going to break fellowship? 
Well, I don't know who it might be, but it will not be Paul and Barnabas. I guarantee that. The people involved in disputes can be surprising. It can be an unexpected parties. Consider them two individually. We've considered them together, but look at them individually. Paul is an apostle. He's one of the apostles, one of the authoritative spokesmen of Jesus Christ. He is the world's greatest missionary, one of the best preachers to ever live, and author of more than half of the book, well, roughly half of the books of the New Testament. And he's involved in a dispute. It's surprising. It is unexpected to see Paul in this situation. And Barnabas. Do you know Barnabas' name? We all know Barnabas by his nickname. Do you remember his name? His name is Joseph. Mom named him Joseph. Go back to Acts chapter 4. The church named him Barnabas. That became his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Remember, this was the man who was Mr. Encouragement. He was the one everybody liked to be around. He's the one that sold the field and brought his wealth and gave it to the church so that others could be cared for. This is the one who, who when nobody else would believe that, that, the, uh, that Saul had been converted, this is the one who took Saul, put his arm around him, and walked him into the church so that the church would accept him. He's a peacemaker. When a dispute arose in Antioch over whether or not they should evangelize the Gentiles, it was Barnabas who was sent by Jerusalem to make peace there. And when a dispute arose later about how the Gentiles should be incorporated in the church, should they be circumcised, it was Barnabas who was one of the delegates sent to the Jerusalem council. He is a peacemaker. He is an encourager. He's the last guy that would be involved in a dispute in the church. And here he is at odds with Paul. The people involved in a dispute will surprise you. They will be unexpected. And it is a reminder that every relationship needs care. It needs attendance. It needs to be considered. We need to work at it. We need to be on guard. We need to be careful with our words. Even with those whom we are most comfortable, we need to consider our words so that those relationships are not torn apart. One of the aspects of this dispute is that it occurred between unexpected parties, unexpected people. But it also occurred for unexpected reasons. You see what's going on here? This is not a doctrinal dispute. They're, no, they're not wrestling with the nuances of the gospel. This isn't a, a question of uh, 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 post-millennialism versus amillennialism. This is not a question of whether or not the Jews, ha- the Gentiles had to be circumcised to become part of the church. It's not a doctrinal dispute. Nor is it a dispute over sin. It's not the case that that Paul has committed some great sin and Barnabas parts with him because of that, or vice versa, that Barnabas has sinned and Paul. There's not sin involved. Nor does there appear to be any evidence that it's a direct personality conflict. What's surprising, what's stunning, what is so unexpected is the, the cause, the reason for the dispute. 
It arises because of philosophical differences when it comes to ministry. How do we minister? What do we do? And Paul's side of the argument goes probably something like this. You can kind of hear Paul saying, look at my track record. Look at the leadership I provided. That first missionary journey went the way it went because the Holy Spirit appointed me to be the apostle. Appointed me to be in charge. And my concern, dear Barnabas, is for the mission as a whole, the big picture. I'm looking at the big picture. And Mark's not up to the task. Mark's already abandoned us once. He can't come along. I know you care about him. I know you love him. I love him too. But we've got to stay focused on the mission. Can't you see that's what I'm trying to do? And Paul has a good argument. It's sound. It's reasonable. It's justifiable. But Barnabas says this. Paul, do you not understand that the whole point of the gospel is second chances? Do you not understand that the whole reason we're going on this missionary journey is so that people can be forgiven? Yes, Mark failed us, but that doesn't mean he's going to fail us again. And Paul, you've said you've got this wonderful leadership, you've been appointed by the Holy Spirit to be this apostle, but do you not understand that I have gifts from the Holy Spirit also? Was it not I who saw in you the potential to be a wonderful leader in the church? Was it not I who introduced you to the church of Jerusalem so that you were not an outcast? And by the way, was it not I when things got rough in, in uh, Antioch, when that church needed leadership, I'm the one who went to Tarsus and found you and brought you back to Antioch that you could minister there. I saw that potential in you. And I see that potential in Mark. You're focused on the big picture? Well, Mark can serve that big picture. And so Barnabas has an excellent argument also. And as we sit here today, we recognize that both could make a good point. But there were underlying, foundational, philosophical differences between them and how they should move forward. Disputes can arise between unexpected parties. Disputes can arise for unexpected reasons. And disputes can arise at unexpected times. Do you see where this is in the book of Acts? It's here in Acts 15. When you say to most uh, people who are familiar with the Bible, Acts 15, they're going to know it for the Jerusalem Council. That's the big deal thing in Acts 15. That's when the church had to gather together and wrestle with the issue of what is at the core of the gospel. What is it really all about? And having survived that, having had success at the Jerusalem Council, they're riding high. They're back at Antioch. They've shared that we, we saw a couple weeks ago. They came back to Antioch. They shared the good news of what came out of the Jerusalem Council. Everybody's rejoicing. Everything's going well. 
And in light of that, Paul says, what a great opportunity to go back and encourage all of the churches we'd been to earlier. Things are going well in the church. They're riding high. They're looking forward to a wonderful ministry opportunity. And then dispute occurs. Dispute occurs between, the, between unexpected parties for unexpected reasons at unexpected times. And it occurs with unexpected severity. The word there in verse 39 uh, there, and there arose a sharp disagreement. The Greek word that underlies that, uh, when it's used outside of the New Testament, when we see it in other historical ancient Greek documents, it is used of uh, 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 convulsions as a result of a disease. That's the kind of nuance that's attached to this word. This is not a minor disagreement. This is not a friendly dispute. The word Luke uses here is a word that's used for convulsions. Paul is livid. He is so frustrated. Barnabas, can you just not see how important this is? We can't have Mark bailing on us again. And Barnabas... I picture Barnabas being a little more mellow. But nevertheless, he's frustrated. Paul, can you not see that this is what we're doing? We're redeeming people. Disputes can occur between unexpected people for unexpected reasons uh, 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 at unexpected times, and they can occur with unexpected severity. That's the nature of this particular dispute. Let's take a little, little look now at the response to the dispute. How we, what we can learn from this text and how we ought to think about responding to disputes. First of all, to the third parties. I'm going to say some things. To those of us who are maybe observing a dispute and we're not directly involved in it, there are some things we can learn here. First of all, don't take sides. Not in this situation. Not when the nature of the dispute is like this. Not when there's no clear fault. It's not a doctrinal dispute. It's, it's not a dispute over sin in somebody's life. It's a dispute over the philosophical approach to how we should operate in the church. Now, you may agree with one side or the other, and I'm going to guess most of us today are sympathetic toward either Paul or Barnabas. But what we see here, what Luke records for us here, is that the church did not take sides. Oh, they it's not because the church is not willing to take sides. Remember, they've just come from the Jerusalem Council. There are issues upon which the church is willing to have a debate. They're willing to run the issue up the ladder and go to the higher authorities. They're willing to take it back to Jerusalem and gather the, 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 the leading saints from around the region and get together and talk about it and wrestle with it and, and hammer it out. But not this. This doesn't go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't send a mediator out to solve this. The church doesn't take sides. Doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. Doesn't mean that you don't agree with one philosophy or the other. But don't take sides. Disputes are, 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 are not desirable, but they needn't be destructive. 
And when we begin to take sides over this sort of dispute, we make them destructive. The other thing we see here is that Luke does not take sides. Luke does not hesitate to point us in the direction of right and wrong in other places in Acts. He does not hesitate to record whom the Holy Spirit deemed to be right and who he and his spirit-guided human judgment deems to be right, but he does not take sides here. And that's an interesting thing. For if you've read ahead, perhaps you know this, but what you may not know is that we're only a few verses in the, in the timeline of, uh, of the early church. We're only a couple of weeks away from Luke joining Paul for the first time. Acts 16.10, just 10 verses away. We're going to see the word we get incorporated for the first time. Luke is now going to be. So shortly after this happens, Luke joins the missionary party of Paul and Silas. And is, I'm going to guess, they're, they're, they're walking along the way, they're, they're lounging at night, and they're, they're staying in wherever they're staying, and they're talking about things in the past. You remember, remember when? And, and Luke is hearing this name Barnabas over and over and over again. He finally says, tell me more about Barnabas. Why isn't he here? And he hears Paul's side of the story. And yet what he records for us is a non-judgment, non-side-taking view of things. The church does not take sides in this dispute. Luke does not take sides in this dispute. And the sovereign hand of God in history does not take sides in this dispute. For it is not as though one party goes on to ministry success and the other to ministry failure. For does Paul have a future in the ministry? Yes, Two more missionary journeys after this. The vast majority of his writings that we have in the Bible are still going to come after this. Paul goes on to have success in the ministry. But so does Mark. He becomes the associate pastor of Peter in Rome. He then writes the first canonical gospel. First one chronologically, the first one in history. And Barnabas, while we don't see a lot more of Barnabas in the scriptures, what we do know from church history is that he went on to have very successful missionary endeavors, both back on Cyprus and in other places also. The church does not take sides. Luke does not take sides. History does not take sides in this dispute. The sovereign hand of providence does not show one to have been a failure and the other to have been a success to the third parties when these disputes arise. Don't take sides. Disputes are undesirable, but they needn't be destructive. Don't let them be destructive. To the parties involved, the text tells us this. Do not allow this to become a wider disruption. Paul and Barnabas don't appeal to Jerusalem. Neither one of them says, let's go to the elders and let's take this up and let's hash this out and let's make this a big deal. Rather, they, in the end, they fight it out. They have a heated argument. They have angry convulsions with one another. But in the end, they do not run this up and make it a bigger issue. In the end, they decide to just part company so that it does not become more destructive and more disruptive. Now, I'm not saying that every relationship where you've got some bumps that you can't resolve, you can walk away from. There is this thing called marriage. You know, we don't walk away from that. 
And even in the church, we take certain membership vows. It's not as though they, they, uh, 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 let one of them left the church. But when it came to the particular ministry task at hand, they had to go their separate ways. You may find yourself at some point working together in some ministry. An illustration that comes to my mind, one that's common in many churches I've been a part of, is women's ministries. What do we do? There is this, this subset of the women's ministries that said, you know, we've, all, we've always met during the daytime. That's just traditionally when we've met, and it's nice, it's safe. I'm not, not driving after dark, I'm not out in a dark parking lot. Uh, uh, I like meeting in the daytime. But there's another set that says, yeah, but, but many of the younger women in our church, they have jobs, they can't meet during the daytime. And there's not a right or a wrong to that. There's not a biblical case to say, well, you have to have women's ministries events during the day or you have to have them in the evening. And so what do many churches do? Let's part ways and accommodate both. Let's get one group to meet during the day and one group to meet in the evening so that we can minister to as many women as possible. Rather than continuing to fight over this, rather than going to the session and asking them to solve this, let's just minister separately. Not angry. Not at odds with each other. Not trying to undermine each other. Not trying to steal women out of one Bible study for the other. But rather saying, there's no easy way to resolve this. Let's move forward peaceably. What our New Testament reading from Romans tell us? So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Do whatever you can to make it peaceable. To the third parties, I say, don't take sides. The church did not. Luke does not. History did not. To those involved, I say, don't let it be disruptive. Don't let it be destructive. Find a peaceable way to move forward. But I also want to say this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, 6. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. The book of 1 Corinthians was written probably about, oh, three, four years after this event took place. So after Paul and Barnabas have parted ways, 1 Corinthians is written. We don't know exactly, but probably about four years later. And in 9.6, we read this. Uh, let me give you some defense. So, so Paul is making an argument, basically, that the church is responsible to care for those who are the shepherds over it, to financially provide for the pastors of the church. That's a chunk of the argument here at the opening of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 9. And he says there in verse 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, without going into all the details of the argument there, the point is simply this. That Paul here, rather than being defensive toward Barnabas, is defensive of Barnabas. He writes and says, Barnabas needs to be cared for. Barnabas needs to be provided for. He shouldn't have to work a separate job. Take care of him. And so we see Paul, maybe he's not on a personal level reunited to Barnabas, we don't know. But at least he's willing to acknowledge that Barnabas's work is legitimate gospel work and ought to be provided for by the church. 
Don't give up disputes and, and disunity because they can yet be resolved. Turn, go a little further back, go to uh, 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 Colossians 4, verse 10. Colossians 4, verse 10. Paul is writing, and notice what he says here. Uh, uh, Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And uh, and he goes on to name some other people. He's sending greetings. So to the church at uh, Colossae, he sends greetings from Mark. Unless we be confused about which Mark it is, it's this Mark. It's the mark we're talking about. So at some point, we don't know the details, but at some point along the line, it appears that Paul and Mark made up. Mark is now with Paul. How else could Paul send greetings on on his behalf? So while Colossians is being written, Mark is working alongside of the Apostle Paul. And probably the most uh, touching comes in uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 11. Second Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11. Second Timothy 4, 11. Scholars are almost unanimously agreed that Second Timothy was the last canonical letter that Paul wrote. And that when he writes it, he knows that his end is nigh. He knows that his execution at the hands of Rome is just around the corner. He knows that this is his last chance to say what needs to be said. And so it's a very nostalgic letter. It's a very uh, uh, empathetic and sympathetic letter. It's a very emotional letter. And in chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. Luke alone is with me. Notice the tone. Notice the sadness. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. The one who had turned away from them at Pamphylia many years earlier, the one who Paul would not take with them on the second missionary journey is now the one Paul says, I need. Bring me Mark. Because he's the one who can help me. When you have disputes, when there is disunity in your relationships, when these things arise, don't despair of of ever uh, 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 reconciling, of ever reuniting. Stay open to the working of the Holy Spirit. And we don't know how these things happened, and that's actually a blessing. It's not that Paul had to be humbled and then repent and then make up with Mark and, Bar- uh, Mark and Barnabas, or that Barnabas had to repent and he had to go groveling to Paul. No! They parted ways so that the dispute would not become more severe, and yet they respected one another's work, even, to the, even though they may have disagreed on some things. And eventually, they are reunited. We don't know how. The details are lost to history. But when he's dying, when he's alone, when he's scared, Paul says, I want Mark. Send me Mark. Don't let disunity, don't let disputes become destructive. They are unavoidable in the church to some degree. And they're going to, the, 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 the nature of some of these disputes, oh, I'm not talking about disputes, you know, when a, you know, when a pastor sins and do we need to fire him or not? No, if the pastor's having an affair, there's not a lot of dispute there. There may be pain, there may be hurt, but there's no dispute. I'm not talking about issues of doctrine. 
But we're talking about things where people just disagree. And neither can make a better case than the other from, their script, from the scriptures. And these disputes occur between unexpected people, Barnabas and Paul. And they occur for unexpected reasons. Do we take Mark or don't we? And they occur at unexpected times. They're coming off the high of the Jerusalem Council. And they occur in, with unexpected severity. So that one of them is described as having convulsions in his anger. And in such disputes, third parties shouldn't take sides. Don't make it worse. Don't make it worse. Don't take sides. And those involved should not make it disruptive. This is not a reason to go to the elders, to go to Jerusalem, to go to the presbytery. And in the end, don't close the door to reconciliation. For the Lord can and will work to reunite you, to reconcile you, to bring you back together where you are again respecting one another and working toward a common gospel goal. Disputes are not desirable, but they needn't be destructive. We should do everything we can to keep it that way. For the sake of the glory of the church, for the sake of the success of the gospel, for the sake of the relationships we're called to have. Acts 15 does not end on a high note, but it does offer real instruction real guidance for the real church in which we really live. Let's pray. Lord, we wish in our uh, humanity that there would be no such disputes, that these sorts of issues just would not arise in the church. Yet we see that they do. So Lord, keep us on our guard. Let us be mindful of the frailty of our human relationships. And let us be mindful of the degree to which we might uh, uh, inadvertently dig in our heels in places we, we just don't need to. And Lord, when these sorts of disputes arise, give us the wisdom to, to, to walk the path carefully so that the dispute does not become destructive, so that the dispute does not become a disruption to the work of the gospel. Give us guidance in these things give us wisdom for such times also that your work will be accomplished so that your work will continue we pray this in christ's name amen